The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello and welcome to a special version of Capital Weekly's podcast here at the Convention Center in Sacramento for the State Democratic Party Convention. And I'm joined today by Scott Lay, who not only is a member of our board, vice president of our board, I think, but also uh, does the Nooner, which is a go-to place to find out what's really going here, going on here in Sacramento uh, politically, and uh, it's filled with analysis. He thought we'd be the he'd be the perfect person to chat with today. So, Scott, thank you very much for doing this. Nice to see you, John, and thank you very much for hosting me. And here we are in the press conference room. <laughs> This is the only empty room we could find close by that had a little bit of sound deadening uh, quality in it. Yeah, uh, I can think of another uh, <laughs> uh, press secretary in the country that would like to have a room as empty as, as empty this. As this. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, uh, Scott, you were here yesterday and you're here now. Uh, and what I've been following is the leadership uh, uh, dispute or the contest between uh, Kimberly Ellis and Eric Bauman. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing? Well, certainly there is a... Um, if you will, a hangover from 2016 uh, that leads to a party division uh, between those that were, you know, solidly behind Hillary Clinton and those yeah. that were behind uh, Bernie Sanders. They call it the establishment versus the Bernie Kratz. <laughs> and that is carrying forward into almost every element of this convention from the state uh, party chair election into gubernatorial preferences into rules changes and resolutions. So any caucus meeting or committee meeting you attend here at the convention center yeah. is colored by that split. So it's a serious, uh, it's, it's actually it's a serious run. It's not a fringe effort, but it's actually, it's got some credence and some support. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, roughly one third of the delegates that are here were elected on the Bernie Kratz uh, the progressive slate, and the thought is that most of those are supporters of Kimberly Ellis. And if you walk the halls here at the convention center, yeah. you see a lot of pink T-shirts, which are <laughs> the Kimberly Ellis T-shirts. Is this is this important in the national scheme of things? I saw some people say that, but California is sort of a lot of ways marginalized our state party. Uh, does this resonate back in D.C.? I, I don't think so. I mean, there was a big rally last night. Uh, by the California Nurses Association against uh, Democratic National Committee uh, Chairman uh, uh, Tom Perez, uh -huh. you know, over his tepid support of single-payer health care. Yeah, okay. Now, single-payer health care is an issue in California that perhaps majorities in the Assembly and Senate may be willing to embrace. But I would think the National Democratic Party would not be willing to make a big push on it, uh -huh. even if the leadership supports it because of so many swing states where it would be a no-go, a third rail uh -huh. to say we're going to immediately have single-payer health care coverage, which would require as much as admirable as it may be, would require significant tax increases. Yeah. In theory, those tax increases would replace insurance premiums, uh -huh. but there has to be a path from A to Z. Mm -hmm. And in California, you have uh, a significant number of moderate Democrats, so-called business-friendly Democrats. It would be tough votes for them to actually come out 
You'd need two-thirds in each house, I suppose, to put this through, right? Exactly. You'd need two-thirds. If it had a money stream, it had a revenue stream. Absolutely. And you have to have some sort of revenue stream to do this. And while the leadership in both houses would be on paper in support of single-payer health care, that is not their job. Their job is to protect the super majorities in each of the houses. And there are parts of the state that are held by Democrats that simply are, are not ready for single-payer health care. Mm-hmm. Not that they're not ready for the policy, but it's, you have to translate the, translate the policy into the finances. Mm-hmm. Get the money and down. so when you start talking about tax increases, even if they're replacing premiums, that becomes a real challenge in places like the Central Valley and the Inland Empire. You see, this, does this issue resonate in 2018 here with the statewide candidates that are here at the convention? Gavin Newsom's here. Uh, others are here. Right. I mean, the, there are four announced candidates for governor on the Democratic side. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of them on paper support single-payer health care. Yeah. But they haven't had the requirement of interacting with a state budget and saying exactly yeah. how you pay for it. And I think that's why Jerry Brown, who you would think would be in support of it in concept, is not pushing the issue. He's been pretty hesitant. He's been, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the state budget is in good shape now, but not good enough shape to create a new multi-billion dollar obligation that would be required in transitioning from a private sector healthcare market to even a voluntary single-payer market. Regardless of who wins this, uh, the chairmanship of the party, uh, is the tr- Democratic Party in transition at all here? Is it, uh, is it still sort of, um, I don't know, more liberal, uh, organized labor driven? Is it got a younger cohort than it used to have, or is it slowly, are we, is it more of a millennials party than it was before? Is that a Bernie Sanders function of driving more, luring more people into the party? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I've been, I was a a longtime Democratic Party activist. I don't do that anymore. I try to be more nonpartisan now and look at things objectively. But I've been around these conventions for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's been a significant Democratic or uh, demographic or policy shift. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is an issue in this chairs race because. John Burton is a technician. He's a strategist. As much as people think of John Burton as a liberal firebrand, you don't see him out there doing media events and really bring those issues you know, to the forefront. He executes on behalf of the party to get as many Democrats elected as possible. I actually heard somebody that I was interviewing earlier today who was complaining that John Burton hasn't been out there you know, leading the fight. Mm-hmm. John Burton doesn't think that's his role. His role is to provide the foundation so that those that are elected and those that are running to be elected lead the fight. Mm -hmm. And that's somewhat what the party delegates are facing this weekend because Eric Bauman is more in the John Burton structure. He is the execution this is how we get things done, no matter how we get it done. That's what he's done in L.A. County as a Democratic Party chair, whereas Kimberly Ellis is more the, 
the party needs to leave, lead mm-hmm. on policy bases and to be the liberal firebrands that we think the base wants. Mm-hmm. That's a very different roles. And I'm not sure how deep most delegates get into those different roles sure. yeah. as opposed to just following their policy, um, their, their policy uh, passions. I don't think there's much different between, on policy between mm-hmm. John Burton and Kimberly Ellis. Mm-hmm. It's just more of, are we part of the establishment? Or are we doing an uprise against the establishment? Do you think, uh, is, is that the big takeaway from the, if you had to isolate one issue, is it the leadership uh, dispute, the leadership contest, or there's, is there something else out there we should be looking at? I really think it's a leadership contest. I think that uh, the gubernatorial candidates, uh, most delegates walked in with their preference already solid. Uh-huh. Yeah. There are very few uh, delegates that aren't carrying a candidate sign for governor. They knew who they were with, and they grabbed that sign as soon as they could, and they're there. Um, and so, unfortunately, today's session ran... Uh, into the lunch hour, and so half the convention hall emptied out, and all that was left were the John Chung delegates. <laughs> okay. You know, now it doesn't really matter because the television, you know, uh, cameras aren't panning the entire convention hall. They're panning the first few rows yeah. up to the candidate at the podium, and it showed a sea of signs for that candidate. Um, that very different than Gavin Newsom, who spoke earlier. When, you know, most delegates were still there because it wasn't lunchtime yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't think there's much, much persuasion going on, even as a lot of candidates are whining and dining folks through hospitality suites and food truck rodeos out on the street. A lot of social interaction. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun. It's a big party. It is. Somebody said, wait, there's a, con- there's a convention in this party? You know? <laughs> uh, Scott, one last question. Before we uh, did the podcast, we were talking, you mentioned a, a resolution uh, requiring quarterly disclo- disclosure, financial disclosure reports mm-hmm. of, of who? I guess of the, of the party officials, party leadership? Right. Um, what's, what's that about? What do, you, what do you understand is going on? There? Well, one of the criticisms uh, that's come out in the uh, Kimberly Ellis versus Eric Bauman campaign was that Eric Bauman, as party vice chair over the last term, has a political consulting firm that accepted $100,000 uh, for the no on Proposition 61 campaign, which would have established price caps on prescription drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that $100,000 came from the pharmaceutical industry. And so um, I think there was somewhat unanimity within uh, the rules committee that, uh, yeah, it makes sense to require quarterly disclosure uh, of our party officials. It, just not saying you can't accept money uh, from, uh, you know, political consulting money from candidates or ballot measures, mm-hmm. but you have to disclose it on a quarterly basis. Uh, so I think that will easily pass. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where there's going to be disclosure and nobody's going to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like so many areas, like a lot of the Fair Political Practices Commission yeah. stuff. I mean, geeks like us yeah. like to read that it's stuff. It's like the end user agreement in the right, Apple. Exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> On page 256, yeah, totally, it says yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> well, Scott Way, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for John. your time. Thanks for doing it. Yep. And uh, we'll see you next time around. Thank you for joining us.